I've watched that video 50 times probably. It makes me laugh every time. Today I want a new series, to start a new series about friendships, about friends. And I, I believe that for many of you, this topic will be something that could impact your life for years to come. And um, because if we get our friends right, the right friends set us, up, uh, set us up for success in the most important areas of our life, the very most important areas. And the flip side is true as well. Getting involved with the wrong friends can affect us in every area of our life that matters. So, um, you know, it, it, it can set you up for more pain. It can set you up for more trials or struggles and all kinds of issues that you really want to consider. As we go through this, there's a key thought over the next several weeks that I'm, that I'm going to come back to time and time again, and it's this. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends. Show me the people that you spend the most time with, and I will show you the trajectory that your life is presently taking. In fact, Solomon, thousands of years ago, made a comment that was almost the same comment, but he used different words. And uh, he was, the word says he was, he was the wisest man who ever lived. And we can find his words in Proverbs thirteen twenty. He said this, Walk with the wise and become wise. And he said on the flip side, for a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, if you hang out with people that are better than you, you hang out with people that are wiser than you, you hang out with people that are smarter than you, you hang out with people that, that uh, have better marriages than you, are better with money than you, are better leaders than you, you're going to become like them. You're going to rise up towards that level in your life. But if you hang out with people that are a bunch of dolts, Dolts, that's an old-fashioned word. You hear that word a lot? That's an actual word. I learned it when I was young reading Mad Magazine. But if you hang out with dolts, if you hang out with party animals, if you hang out with people who constantly get into trouble, they're going to drag you down to where they are. You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. In fact, when I look backwards from my own life, I, I mean, I can see the high points of my life are very directly tied to being connected to God using the, the right people to help me make the right decisions and have the right mindset and to do the right things in my life. And I can show you how those people were used to influence me in the right direction. And on the other side, back when, well, there were times in my life when I would get into trouble. And I never, hardly ever got into any trouble alone. Right? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. It's like um, almost every time I was running with the wrong people or doing the wrong things, I even had friends at high school say to me, you have changed who you hang out with and you're hanging out with the wrong people. And they were right-hearted to tell me those things. And uh, I was allowing people at times to influence me in the wrong direction. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So as we go through the next few weeks, I want you to, to take a moment now and just... You can write this down. You don't have to, but make a mental list in your mind of the people. List your closest friends. Who are your closest friends? Don't, don't think too hard about this. Don't overthink this. Just, you know, you can write it down or you can just, in your mind, but you just come up with this list right now. Who are your closest friends? Now, don't write down your spouse. I'm not talking about your family. I'm not talking about your dog. I'm not talking about your imaginary friend. I'm talking about the people that you spend the most time with. The people that you can call at 2 in the morning, and it's okay. The people you can be transparent with. The people that know you, that you know them, and I'm talking about your closest friends. And as you're doing this, I, I want to tell you something that sociologists and leadership ex experts have been teaching for years, and this is the principle. You are the average of your five closest friends. 
Think that through. You are the average of your five closest friends. In almost every area of your life, you'll be somewhere in the middle, the average of your five closest friends. Chances are, financially, you're in the middle of your five closest friends. You're not, you don't have the most money. You don't have the least money. You're probably in the middle somewhere. Morally, if you're a partier, if you get tipsy, and uh, that's something that's happened a little bit f- frequently, well, the chances are three or four of your closest friends. Same thing. You're looking at me like I shouldn't talk about people getting tipsy in church as if it doesn't really happen. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're pursuing God with all your heart, chances are three or four of your closest friends are pursuing God with all their heart. You're going to be the average of your five closest friends because, like it or not, your mother was right when she said to you, you're going to become like the people you run with. Mom was right. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. So... As you're considering this list, this question, the obvious question arises. Are you hanging out with the right people? Do you want to become more like those that you hang out with? Or do you look at that sometimes and say, you know, I'm not so sure that this really pleases God. Maybe that these are the best influences in my life. I mean, think about every area of your life. Do you, have, do you want to have a good marriage? Do you hang out with people who are good at their marriage and, and, and good in marriage? Do you want to be stronger financially? Do you hang out then with people who know how to manage their funds well? Do you want to be stronger spiritually? Do you want to, do you want to be in better shape, or do you hang out with people who, who eat Twinkies for a hobby? It's my club. I'll tell you where the club meetings are. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. In almost every area of life, you are the average of your five closest friends. So... That's your context as we're talking about. So keep that in mind and, and think about the people that you spend most of your time with. Now, I want to take a minute and define friendship as a baseline for us as we move forward. So I'll read to you Proverbs 17, 17 from the FBV. It says this, A friend is someone you may or may not know well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person makes a point to like and comment on your posts to make you feel better about yourselves. Okay. So that's not really real. That's the Facebook version of the Bible. And that's, no, that's not really real. Get rid of that. <laughs> but you've got to admit that Facebook is having an influence on the way we think about friendship today. It really is. Here's the real Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had a handful, maybe five or six or seven people who loved you all the time? Not just for a short period or for a season, but I'm talking about for decade after decade. They know you, they know your secrets and your problems, and they love you anyway. You know their spouse and they know yours and you invest in their children and you cross-pollinate each other spiritually. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? Where you learn from them and they learn from you, Bye, sweetie. (laughs) Bye-bye, Grandpa. And you learn from each other, and you actually make each other better. You actually make each other better people. I'm talking about friends who love you enough to tell you the truth when you're about to do something stupid. In fact, love you enough that telling the truth sometimes is they put this into the backside of your landing gear. And say, that's going to hurt you and a lot of other people, and I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from hurting yourself. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. People that celebrate with you in the good times and cry with you when 
things are breaking your heart. If you had a, what if you had a community of people like that that stayed with you for decades? A friend loves at all times what that scripture says. But the problem is, at least according to the sociological studies that I was looking at, very, very few of us have friends like that anymore. According to the American Sociological Association, that's like the association that psychologists and sociologists are a part of, like the medical association, the average American has only two close friends. Two close friends. And chances are that many of you, or maybe the majority of you, when I ask you to name your closest friends, you probably put down two people. Which may not seem like that big of a deal to you until you know that just 25 years ago, the average American had six close friends. And no one seems to notice that change or really even care anymore. What's even more scary to me is this. A big survey that was completed in 2006, it said that 25% of Americans, one in four, said they had no close friends at all. That was as of 2006. Another study in 2013 has that number. One study has it up to 35%. One in three people say, I got no close friends. That's scary. And since 1965, the two activities that Americans do, that they still do today, that they were doing back then, the two activities that they've stopped doing the most, two things, attending worship services and hanging out with friends at the other friend's house. Okay, so I, you come to my house and we have dinner and spend time together, or I come to your house. That has dropped. The, the average in 1965 was about 15 times a year the average American would do that. In 2006, it had dropped to eight, and it's still declining. Something is wrong with this picture. Friendship is declining. There's no doubt about it. Why is friendship declining? I know, ask yourself what, what kind of questions. And I've, I don't know that you can say, well, it's because of this, but there's a lot of material out there. If you want to know about it, you can do a lot of research on it, and I did. I read a lot of stuff. And here, are the, the, what I would say, what I, from what I could see out there, were the top three reasons why friendship in America is declining. First, first one is pretty obvious, and these are not in order necessarily. Okay? The first one is uh, increasing work hours. We're, we're connected all the time. We, we're, we're, we're working all the time. People work so much that they just have a hard time investing in their relationships. Second reason is friendships are de- declining because of rising divorce rates. You know, um, studies show that divorce is not only hard on the family, but it's hard on friendships. You know, there's a, there's a separating that goes on. You know, this, you get this money, he gets that money. You get the kids this day of the week, she gets the kids that day of the week. Um, you get these friends, they get, and you, I get these friends. Because friends have a tendency in a divorce to side up. They do. It just, it just is a natural thing that seems to happen. And then uh, the third reason, and according to some of the studies, this is the top reason why friendship is declining. It's debatable, but it could be. And the, and the reason, third reason is explosion of social media, the explosion of social media. Now, I want to say very clearly to you that I'm not against social media. I'm not against Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and those kinds of programs. I mean, I've used them. I've used all three of those at times, and um, you know, I, I, so I'm not, I'm not against them. But you do have to acknowledge that social media does have an impact on the way that we relate to people. That's changed from before. I mean, I can prove it to you. I mean, years ago before there was social media, I I promise none of you would do something like this. You would say, hmm, I'm going to pick up the phone and call every friend I have and every friend I've ever had and let them all know that I'm having oatmeal for breakfast. (laughs) Okay, I mean, 
you wouldn't do that. But now a lot of you think nothing about taking a picture of your oatmeal <laughs> and sending it out to all your friends. You know, I, I, and it's like it, it creates this, this appearance or this sense of a connection that's going on. I remember this time, I just laugh about this now when I think about it, but some of you closer to my age might remember a guy named Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a tremendous basketball player. And eventually he became the head coach of the Seattle Supersonics. This goes back a few years, remember that. And I'm with a close friend of mine, and we're in the university district one Saturday morning early. This is probably 35 years ago. And we're at the pancake house. And across the aisle is here's Bill Russell having a pancake with somebody. And my friend is getting all foamy. And you know, he's, oh, I'm Bill Russell. i got to go get his autograph. I said, okay, whatever. You know, because I'm too cool for that, right? <laughs> and, um, and my friend gets, gets a pen and, and goes over there. And I can't hear them, but I can see this conversation. He's standing there. And Bill Russell looks up, and he, Bill Russell is saying something to him. And he comes back to the table, kind of just his tail between his legs. So what happened? Oh, he wouldn't give me the autograph. Really? What did he say to you? And now, this is the best quote as I can recall. Bill Russell says to my friend, oh, man, I don't do that. It creates the false impression that we've touched. <laughs> yeah, I thought, wow, I'm never going to forget that. And I haven't. I have not forgotten that. I thought, you snob. Give the signature, you know. And I can understand why he didn't. But today, in the, in the context of where friendship is going, I get it more. Because there's a danger with, with uh, social media. And that is to create a false impression that a touching is occurring. And touching, being aware of or informed, is not the same as touching. It's just not quite the same. The explosion of social media is, is, is a big deal. And what experts say about that is that rather than becoming concerned about face-to-face face intimate friendship, we're becoming a little bit more obsessed with our online image. What are people going to think about us? There's something about social media that fosters us to focus on ourselves in the presence of other people. It's different than actually focusing on someone else. It's subtle. And the thing is this, the people that follow you on Facebook care about you and they want to know what's going on in your life. And if you've had the best bowl of oatmeal in creation, I guess I'd kind of like to hear about that. I don't want to hear about the routine bowl, okay? Or maybe, let's say, you haven't been able to eat solid food for six months, and it's a big accomplishment. I want to hear about that. <laughs> okay, I know Facebook is by choice. Don't, no, don't, now, don't get, don't get shy from sending me notes and emails, because I like to hear from you and do that. I, I'm just trying to make my point. You, you get the point. The thing about Facebook is that we'll, we'll, we'll share our hearts, and we'll share our thoughts, and we'll broadcast them. And if we're tweeting them, it's going to be in 140 characters or less. Nicely packaged, carefully manicured. You know, we'll take this picture of ourselves and we'll get it ready to go and we'll look at it and is it, do the words just right? We got our words just right and then we'll look at that picture and think, oh, I don't really like the lighting on that, so we'll take another picture. (laughs) You know, the glamour shot, let's see, I need the sunset in the background. I need this nice new background. Thank you, Jason, by the way. It looks terrific. I like it way better than the white sheet. Nicely done. (laughs) And so we'll massage this picture and get the picture just right until it creates the image of me that I want to. And boom, 
here's a moment in time that I'm going to send to you and say, this is my life. And we carefully craft this perfect situation in a statement, and we upload this moment of time, and then we wait for our friends to like it. Ding, 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 ding. Wow, it's five minutes and I've had eight likes. Man, I'm doing great. And we feel like we're connecting because of that. And again, there's nothing wrong with, with that. It, it, it's, it's a good tool to help you stay in touch with people, but it needs to supplement relationship, not define it or replace it. The problem is that so often people are allowing it to replace the intimacy of their relationships with people. So now we've got people who have likes and they have fans and they have followers and they have Facebook friends, but they're more alone than they've ever been before. And they know in their soul that something is missing. There's just something not quite right. So while I see the, the, the value and the worth in social media, I'm not saying don't use it. I also recognize that I was created to crave and have a need for face-to-face intimate relationship with other people. I was hardwired that way. And social media can't be a replacement for that. It can only be a supplement. So in the next few weeks, a long introduction for where we're going to go, we're going to explore um, the next time we'll talk about um, the right being the right friend away. And what I mean by that is you are the right friend away from a different destiny, a good destiny, something that the Lord wants to lead you to. And if you just listed a couple of friends, we're going to see that the Lord wants you to have more than that. The right friends. The Lord wants you to have the right friends, and they'll help you find the right tomorrows, as you will do that for them as well. We're going to look at the life of King David, and we're going to find three different kinds of friends he have that all of us will need. And I believe that you'll see that need, and that the Lord's going to stir something in your heart to pursue something better in that area. Um, and and, and in, in this world where our world applauses independence, it does. Don't, you know, be independent. Don't rely on anything or anyone. I think that very independence can sometimes stretch us and strain us in our relationship with God because he created us not to be independent, but to be dependent on him and to be dependent upon other believers in our lives. Then we're going to talk about, because of that, we'll talk about, you know, maybe you're only one family of friends away from changing the course of your tomorrows. And then the last topic we'll talk about unfriending. Unfriending, because it's absolutely impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's just a fact. And yes, we're always going to love people and we're always going to treat people the way Jesus would want us to treat them. But sometimes I think Christ would want us to draw a boundary to make some changes and maybe refine some relationships because we'll learn to love in a safe way, but in a way that prevents us from allowing bad company to corrupt good character, which scripture says will happen. So in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about friends. So I want to spend the last couple of minutes here talking about the friend that we need to be to others. And so I want to talk about rediscovering the lost art of friendship. Now, there are lots of topics that we could dig into here. And um, I, I, got, I mean, lots. And I've narrowed it down to what I think is just a couple because I think that's all that our time will allow and I think that's all that my attention span would allow. So I'm going to put you in the same boat and we're just going to take two. And uh, so, so these are the ones that I believe um, probably would be the most important ones. Um, rediscovering the lost art of friendship. The first thing we need to do is learn to be present. Be present. So here's a statement put that statement up, and, and maybe you can read this out loud with me. I will develop my friendships face-to-face, not just thumbs-to-thumbs. 
Okay? <laughs> you know, or pointer to pointer finger if that's you're a one finger typer, right? Okay. Because we're going to be we're going to be face to face because presence matters. I mean, I love the songs we were singing. You know, one thing I, I've noticed is that the Holy Spirit's speaking on this kind of topic to me while I'm in my study. He's also speaking to Eric while he's planning the songs because we're singing songs about Lord. In your presence, there is healing. Lord, let your presence fall upon us. I'm thinking, oh man, did you read my notes? I mean, he didn't, but I'm thinking, you know, that, 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 that's just the Holy Spirit on this topic. When, when Jesus was rounding up his disciples, he didn't say, hey, here's a book, go study about, it, about me and learn about me. He said, hey, come on, come with me, follow me. Come live life with me. Let's, let's have breakfast together and get up, let's get to know each other because the best way... I know of to help you learn the heart of my heavenly father is actually spend time with you intimately and to spend and, and get to know with you and have you be with me. Let's be present with one another. There was this um, surprising research that came out of Sweden that basically says this about the pre- our presence. It says that children are becoming increasingly dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with technology. Turnabout's fair play. I've known a lot of adults that have been very concerned about the way their kids interact so much with technology. Now children, apparently, are becoming concerned. And a survey was done, and uh, it was interesting, some of the comments from some of the children and some of the, the... So here's a survey question that was given to adults. Have your children complained about your smartphone or tablet usage? One in three said yes. Parents. One third said, yes, my kids have, said, have complained about how much I'm on the phone or how much I'm on my iPad or whatever. Now, I can tell you that if one out of three kids have done it, there's probably some who just haven't. Significant number. One in five of those parents surveyed, now this part's scary, one in five of those parents surveyed confessed that they had lost sight of their children while at a dangerous location because they were focused on their tablet or like at a beach or someplace. They'd lost sight of their children in a dangerous location because they were too focused. <laughs> That's scary, isn't it? I mean, our own state has said, hey, you've got to be careful. Don't be on your phone while you're driving. But you see it, don't you? And those are the cars. You know, Lisa and I will be driving along the freeway and the car in front of us will be going in the, you know, over past the fog line and over here and, and we're going, the person's either drunk or texting or on the phone. And most of the time, it's the phone. It's amazing. There was a quote from one little six-year-old girl, and I like it because she's, she's got spunk. She says, Mama and Papa make lots of calls and send lots of email. I've told them they need to put it down. <laughs> Six. So ask yourself, are your children dissatisfied because they want more of your presence? Are they competing with email, Pinterest, <laughs> Facebook? You know, How many times have you walked into a restaurant... And seeing a family sitting at the booth together, and they're all in conversations, just not with each other. Four people on four cell phones doing something. I mean, I've sat at a table before with Lisa, and we've actually texted each other at the table, kind of making fun of that whole topic, because like, we're, we're talking about, look at the people at the table. You know? I mean, but we do it by text. We're not making fun of those people, mind you. We're just making fun of the whole thing, that people have these, they're in family time, but none of them are spending time with each other. And the writer of Hebrews said something that I, I don't think could have been any more prophetic about the day we live in on this topic than this. And you find this in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, 
Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What a great thing to do. When was the last time that you and your friends said, hey, let's do something to show somebody Christ's love? I remember, I remember it's been a long time for me, but I remember doing that with my friends saying, hey, let's all spend next Saturday. Let's go clean up this, this, this widow lady's yard. Why? Because she just needs help. And we would do those kinds of things. Now I can hardly keep my own yard clean. Um, but I know that's a, it, it just, you know, let us spur one another to good works and acts of love. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Now this word that's used here, this Greek word, um, is only used two times in the Bible and it, it literally means to meet physically with, this, with a spiritual purpose. Okay, so let us not neglect our meeting together with a spiritual purpose, is what that says, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's just power in presence. There is. There's power in physical presence. A long time ago, when I was a brand new pastor, this is, this is 27 and a half, 28 years ago, long, long time ago, I'm at the church office, and, and there's a secretary answering the phone, and I'm the only other staff member there, and you know, I had the title pastor, but I was completely green behind the ears. Didn't really know what I was doing. I knew things about leadership, but you know, this was, I was new learning. And we get this phone call and this is this woman on the line. And she says, you know, I need some help and I need it right now. My husband suffers from severe depression and he says he's going to kill himself right now. Come and help. Okay. <laughs> now I'm scared spitless. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I mean, this was my first life and death kind of pastoral ministry time. I mean, it's like, I've, literally, I can make the difference here, and I do not know what I'm doing. No, no training in, you know, no formal training in crisis circumstantial. You know, what, what do you do? I mean, I don't know. I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. I'm saying, God, help. Help me do the right thing here. So I show up. And this guy says, he says, yeah, I'm going to do myself in. I just need you to leave. He wanted to be alone. I said, no, I'm not going to leave you alone. And the Lord was saying into my soul, you just bring my presence into the situation and let me go to work. You trust me. And so I just said to this guy, no. And I'm telling you, there's power in presence. There is. I remember <laughs> staying with this guy. And I sat with this guy for 18 hours. And I don't think I said 10 words in that whole time. It was a silence down. You know, you know what a stare down is? This was a silence down. This guy, and eventually at the end, his wife came in and, and, and said to me, uh, you know, here's, I, I said to her, find a place I can take him. He needs professional help. And um, so she found a place. So 18 hours later, I got in the car with this guy. This whole thing started at about 8.30 in the morning. And so it's now, what, 2 or 3 in the morning? This guy gets in the car with me and I take him and, and I delivered him to a, a, a psychiatric place where people could actually help him and prevent him from hurting himself. And um, that for me was this forever lesson. It seems pretty blunt, but I really believe that the presence of another person kept him from taking his own life. It did. Now, I know that's kind of an odd example for me to give to you in church because most of you are never going to have that kind of an opportunity for your presence to make that kind of a difference. But I know that day that the presence of the Lord put a calming, settling effect in his circumstances and saved that man's life. The, Lord's, the Lord did it that day. And I followed him for a number of years. I've lost contact now. It's been decades. But um, I never heard anything else happen with him. And I praise God for that. Now, maybe I'll give you another example of where presence, um, our presence is so important. 
This one's a quite a lot more tender topic to me. I, I, my phone rang in the middle of the night, like four in the morning. And I don't know how you are at four in the morning when your phone rings, but I'm not there. You know, the lights might come on, but there's nobody home kind of a deal. I'm in this fog, and first thing is I'm hearing a phone ring somewhere off in the distance. I might have told you about this before. Phone's ringing off the distance, then I realize a voice is speaking, and it's, there's cries of desperation, and then it ends. And I'm thinking, wait a second, I'm, I'm in bed. What, what was that? Somebody left a message on my voicemail on our, on our answering machine. Didn't sound good, so I got up and went and listened to this message, and it was this with the desperate cries of a very close friend um, to Lisa and me, and she's, she's crying, and she's saying, help. The sheriffs have just called and told me that divers are looking for my son in a local lake. And um, this is a boy who, her son at this point is in his middle, let's say early 20s, 23 or so. Um, a year and a half earlier, I had done the wedding. This is a boy who, um, as he grew up, was with my, my kids. And like when they were five, we were taking them to birthday parties together at the fire station. We grew up together. I know this family intimately. So I, um, I'll just never forget those moments when I showed up on this. I, I find this place in this lake and uh, walk out. And it's dark, or it's, it's barely not dark anymore. And and uh, five in the morning, and you know, it's already a bad deal when they tell you divers are looking. And I walked up to this family, and I just tanked. I mean, I choked. I started crying. I just started crying. They look at me, they seem to have it together. They look at me, and now they cry. And I cry, and they cry, and I'm talking the ugly cry here, right? I'm talking about just, it was something. And, and, and through all this crying, I didn't say a word to them. And then somewhere along the line, I come up with some sort of a weak sauce prayer, you know, just whatever I could get out. And um, as the day went on, I didn't have a whole lot of things to say, but I just started doing things that needed to be done. All the while, I'm thinking, what a crummy pastor you are. <laughs> In the most desperate moments of this family's lives, that's all you could come up with? And I felt terrible for a lot of reasons, you know. But a few days later, <laughs> I got this most wonderful comment from this family. I mean, I, I couldn't hardly believe it. They sent me this note and it said, you have no idea what your visit meant to us. When you walked up, we felt the presence of the Lord saying, I'm going to be with you, and it's going to be okay. And then, here's the thing that they said that I'm never going to forget. They said, everything you said was just perfect. And the funny thing was, I'm sorry, you guys. That's okay. Yeah. Everything they said, everything you said in this note was perfect. The funny thing was, I never said anything at all. I said so little in the course of that day. And, but in their mind, my presence said everything that needed to be said to them. There's something about a presence that's so incredibly powerful. 
I'll take a minute and pray for for this couple that just walked down. I don't know if you know them or not, but they had a tragic loss of their son earlier this year. And um, so we're talking about a tender topic that has probably stirred some tender heart at that. So let's pray. God, um, forgive me if my insensitivity has hurt any of your people. I pray, Lord, that you would foster something of life and hope in a place where hearts are broken. Grant, Lord, vision for their tomorrows, I pray, and grant it to me too as well. And Lord, um, I also open myself up to you to help me be a better leader if what I've done has hurt any of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgive me for that. If I, You know, as I tell stories up here, and if I seem insensitive to you and I hurt you, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that, so forgive me if that happens. So there's just, I really believe that there wasn't any of the words that I said to this family that made any difference, but it was the the, the presence, just being there, said everything that needed to be said. Because there is something incredibly powerful about your physical presence. There's something that happens when two or three people gather together in the Lord's name. There's something about, the God's, about God's presence and about his goodness. There's something about someone who comes to watch your kids get their award or play in their game that says, I care about you and I value your child. There's something about that that says to us, that, that, that physical presence is so important. And I don't mean to just be physically present, but to be emotionally present. Because we can be there, but not actually be there. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, I wonder how different your family would be, your friendships. I wonder how different you would be if you made the people that you were with your priority. Put the thing down and look them in the eyes and be with them. Be present. Let us not give up the power and the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So the first thing I would say to do is to be present. Second thing is to get open. Open up, be transparent. Now you might identify with this part, a lot of you. When your phone rings, you pretty much let it go to voicemail. Almost all the time. <laughs> because you're thinking, you can text them back later or um, you know, at a time of your own choosing and place. Okay, I'm just talking to myself here, I think. I'm probably, but, but I, I think we do that, and that is really an issue of control. That's about control. We're so busy with so many businesses trying to call us and sell us things. We have so many things going on that we've learned to fortress ourselves and then to protect our own interests first. And because of that, we're less open. You know, people didn't used to see phone calls as such an interruption and an, an intrusion. It was actually a special and a positive experience. This has been a long time ago. It was, it was the next best thing to being there. Any of you remember that? The next best thing to being there. That's a phone advertisement. It's like saying, call somebody. Back when you actually had to pay for a phone call, you know. Um, next best thing to being there. And another, so another problem with answering the phone immediately is you give up the control of your ability to manage your image, your online image, because it's live. You can't tailor your words quite as easily, and um, you, you don't get to massage your online appearance like you would with a Facebook post or with a tweet or a text. And, and as, when somebody texts you, you're in control. You wait, and you can do it under your own sweet time the way you want to. You get to think about it. You get to edit it. You can delete it. You can craft your response. You're in control. And now the fortress has become a more important priority to us, more important than even sharing our hearts um, under the pressure of being live or online. And those walls degrade friendship. So I'm saying get open, be transparent. And the cure, I believe, for for the fears that drive our need to control is love. 
Do you realize that love is required, obviously? Love is the cure for every fear. Do you know that? 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. So then love has not been made perfect. Perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. I keep that like um, right here in my hip pocket as I minister to people. When I, when, I, when I encounter somebody and they're dealing with some fear, the first thing I really believe the Lord wants to do is tell them how much he loves them. They, people want to hear something different, necessarily. But what they need is to know the Lord's perfect love. Sounds trite, but believe me, it's not. The only thing that drives out fear is perfect love. It doesn't matter what they're looking for. You know, maybe they're waiting for their biopsy results. Or... Maybe they're in fear because they see and they're watching choices that their adult children are making or their adolescent children. Or maybe there's a fear of economy because of the impact it's going to have on them or their fear about their future in some, some fashion. And the first thing I want to share with them, as best as this imperfect vessel can perform it and to share it, is how much God loves them, how important that they are to God. It, God's perfect love because only perfect love drives out all fear. And it's that fear that causes us, I think, to need to control. So what happens, what happens when we have a, let's, an open, a get open friendship? There's a great verse that says, here's an evidence of one of the things that would happen, and you see this in James 5, James 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You realize when you confess your sins to trusted believers and pray for each other, the Lord says that you can be healed there? How different would you be spiritually? If your trusted, intimate Christian friends, you can say to them, man, I am really struggling with my anger. My parents have done something and I am, I just, I can't deal with this anymore. And then you talk about it and they give you godly advice and they pray for you and they encourage you. Think about how different you'd be if you had those kinds of relationships. Here's the thing. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect to people through our weaknesses. That's where you connect. You'll connect through your weaknesses. It's when we're transparent, when we're vulnerable, when we, you know, stop being so concerned about the online thing and we say to somebody, hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's what makes me afraid. Here's how I'm struggling in my marriage. Here's a temptation that I just can't seem to get on top of. Here's a fear that I just, it just never goes away. And they say, yeah, I I get that. I've been there before, or me too, or I'm like that. And suddenly you start to make this connection, and that intimate connection only happens when we're transparent. And I think for many of us, God wants us to hear this and capture this today because if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you don't have a lot of friends today, we're going to talk about that over the next period of this message, but... Uh, over the series. But your future is not what God wants it to be because you weren't created to be independent on your own. You were created by Him to be dependent upon Him and dependent upon His people. Because we're incomplete without His body and His church. The good news is this. No matter where you are, God can bring the right people into your life. He can. And I commend you all for being in church because this is part of the connecting that you need to do. But It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by design if you'll be open to what the Lord wants to do. Let's pray.
Father, I pray today that your spirit would do something divine down in our hearts and that we would be different, Lord, because you've been in our presence, in our presence, Lord. And Lord, more, more so, we've been in your presence. Because where your presence is, there's freedom. I love those words. So Lord, I pray, God, for those in this room today who've heard these words today and maybe there's some loneliness that has now come to the surface. I, I just ask God for you to, to open doors for them of relationship. Your word makes some promises. It says that you'll order the steps of the righteous. I think people genuinely want relationship, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to balance our use of social media with real intimate contact with people, that we would find ways and find time, Lord, to invest in relationships. And I thank you, Lord, for doing that so much. In Jesus' name, 